This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business and globalization, and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today, we will be talking to Frank Kilbride, Country Manager for Ireland of the International Logistics Services Company, Aramex, which is based in Ballybuckle, North County, Dublin, here in Ireland. Aramex is a business that is plugged right into all the international supply chain networks that we have been hearing so much about in recent weeks and months in the media due to constraints, bottlenecks and shortages in many different parts of the world. Aramex has its headquarters in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, but operates in over, I'm not sure, Frank, maybe 40 countries, uh, including Ireland with hubs in, in Dublin, Cork and Shannon. In Ireland, the business essentially has three service offerings. Um, freight transport, including ocean, air and land, logistic services, which covers warehousing, stock management and pick and pack order fulfillment, and then uh, express delivery. And this is the second time that Frank has joined us on the show, and I've asked him back to explore the world of the supply chain. Uh, supply chains, if you like, which used to work away effectively, unseen and unheard by most lay people, have now become a subject of acute attention and concern to the media, to politicians and to the average citizen in the street in these times as we experience the ongoing consequences of Brexit and the lingering effects of COVID on the world economy. So welcome, Frank, and thank you very much for being here with us today again. Thanks, Patrick. Great to be back with you. And uh, yeah, delighted to get a chance to speak to you and uh, looking forward to the chat. Okay. When I said over 40 countries, is that right? Many countries is Aramex active in? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's growing nearly every couple of days. Patrick, you had the the addition of extra countries, but yeah, look, we're upwards of sixty countries now at this stage. Yeah, between own business and franchised uh, operations, so. So yeah, it's 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 substantially growing, and uh, it's been uh, a really interesting couple of years, as you can imagine. So yeah, yeah. looking forward to the next uh, so, phase. Yeah, as I was saying there in the in the intro, there's been a confluence of factors relating to uh, to Brexit, to COVID, and other long term kind of processes that have been going on, such as the tensions in U.S. China relations and demographic changes around the world, climate change, and so on. And they're all posing challenges to international supply chains that we here in Ireland depend upon so much. So I just wanted maybe to start with you, with, with the, the UK-Ireland connection, where I know you guys traditionally move a lot of freight. Um, what, what constraints and kind of shortages are you seeing there? And what elements of that are UK-specific? And how is it affecting Ireland? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Patrick. That's right. The business had a substantial uh, trade lane between the UK and Ireland for many years, uh, and indeed the, the opposite direction. We started really in that area in the uh, mid '80s and have grown the business on a road freight perspective throughout Europe. But but UK to Ireland, Ireland UK would still be a, seen as a traditionally very strong market for us. So yeah, the, the things that we uh, have seen, Patrick, uh, generally. The market will go into a little bit more specific uh, about our business. The volume of orders, the volume of shipments has fallen in both directions uh, since January 1st. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, we haven't lost customers, but we've noticed a, a reduction in the kilos moved, which is our main unit of measure, and also the number of uh, weekly shipments through to daily shipments. What really happening there is a couple of things. One, you've got companies that are shipping less frequently, so they're consolidating some orders and pulling them into rather than say a daily shipment, maybe thrice weekly. So, so that's we've seen that. So, the, the overall volume 
uh, of orders is slipping. The kilos are some, somewhat down, but but there may be different reasons for that. So we're certainly seeing a consolidation of orders. So that's that's a thing. We're seeing a reduction in what we call a smaller SME activity out of the UK, and that's typically where it's freight that's paid there. Uh, the reason for that is manifold. One, it, it's more expensive, as you know, now shipping from the UK into other parts of Europe, the EU. And, you know, some SMEs have just felt that it's too cost prohibitive at two levels. One, the, the price of the administration, but also I think the internal cost of the associated overhead with dealing with that administration. They pay us to, to clear the goods, but they've also a substantial uh, internal increase. So SMEs probably uh, has seen a, a probably proportionate drop off in that. The larger customers are now returning to the type of volumes we've seen in previous months pre-Brexit, although there was a spike in anticipation of the Brexit. So we're seeing the larger automotive, uh, pharmaceutical and engineering customers gradually uh, creep back up. But it, it, it is certainly a challenge situation still. And, and with, the, with the volumes reducing uh, both directions, by what order of scale have they reduced? And is it different from UK to Ireland and Ireland to UK? Yeah, the, the, the initial volume was a drop off of, of between 20 and 25 percent. That was for an initial number of months. That stabilized and began to reduce that that deficit in March onwards. August is a difficult month to gauge because of holiday seasons uh, and traditionally being, you know, a, a month that year on year is slower than others. So we, we certainly saw a pickup in uh, March onwards where the volumes if you want, the level had started to increase gradually, but it's still in the region of 10 to 15 percent off where it was mm-hmm. uh, tra- traditional months pre-Brexit. So that is a, you know, it's a concern. But I, I, I think overall in the markets we service, the segments we're in, I would be optimistic. However, not all segments are equal, as you know, uh, certainly on the food and some of the more price uh, sensitive items, we, we've certainly or we have noticed a suppressed demand. And, and that's for the reasons I've described. The, the segments that we're in tend to be more time dependent. Uh, they're higher value products. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, let's just say the demand is a little bit more robust. But we have seen allied to that, Patrick, I suppose it's important to bear in mind that some of the volumes that traditionally have come through the UK have been sh- shifted into Europe. So we, we're dealing with the same customers, but maybe with distribution centers in France and Germany that are now shifting some of that uh, supply away from the UK DCs, which traditionally was uh, 80 plus percent of where the volume from this country in those segments came from. So we're seeing that gradual shift uh, happening, which we had anticipated uh as a this is, so this is stuff that you would have previously sent to the UK. It's now going to continental Europe for distribution. Yeah, more westbound flows at the moment. So if you look, there's probably a three to one uh, imbalance of, of, if you want, trailers or kilos into Ireland as there is out of into the UK. The reason being many of the consumer goods, many of the manufactured items that we're, we're consuming here originate in the UK from a distribution perspective. So in the past, for instance, if you had a major brand, uh, one of the larger automotive brands, for instance, Ireland would have been serviced through the UK. So yeah. the inventory, the materials would have been brought to the UK in a centralised hub. And then the Irish dealer network would have been met through that facility. 
what we're seeing is somewhat of a shift in certain customers of certain parts into DCs in Europe for a variety of reasons, skew availability, I guess a reduction in certain duty duty elements as well. And that that is a gradual shift that's going to increase as time goes on. Now, and is the UK is the UK land bridge being bypassed as a consequence of that? Uh, to an extent it is, uh, but but because of the frequency of sailings is not, uh, obviously, as you'd expect through, through the mainland in Europe, there is a, a gradual shift, but it's obviously added on through transit time and frequency of sailing. So so there is a gradual shift. And for certain parts they said that, that maybe are harder to come by, we're seeing that that shift more into, into Europe. And I think that will continue. OK. And, you know, we're seeing on the news now queues at petrol stations in the UK and they're talking about supermarket shelves being left empty and fruit rotting in the fields and all of that type of stuff. Well, what's your perception of what's going on there? And is that likely to affect us here in Ireland in, in, in any way? Well, there are a number of different things going on there. You know, some of it is certainly to do with manpower uh, available hours uh, to work. So, so you know, in terms of the, the shortages that have been mentioned in, in the UK, for instance, particularly, you know, some of that is down to the lack of HGV drivers and particularly in the tanker sector. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a reasonably specific sector. So I think, again, you'd have to balance the the product and the life cycle, the supply chain for that product when you're talking about these things, but fuel certainly is related to that. There is adequate supply of fuel in the UK. That's not the issue. There has been a, a rush to buy an overconsumption, a quite dramatic one in, in, in recent weeks, possibly fueled by concerns of the consumers that they're going to uh, run into shortages. The shortages are driven by lack of availability at the forecourt, which is you know not exclusively, but in many cases, a direct result of a shortage of HGV drivers. And that problem has been materialising for quite a while for a variety of reasons. The age profile of the folk who are uh, working in the industry has gradually got older. A few younger people have come in. Uh, the reasons for that is it's it's probably are seen as not as an attractive industry or a job as other sectors. Uh, the hours, the working hours are, are tough. Driving is tough generally, as we all know. And traditionally, you'd seen a reliance on European workers who have come into the UK to drive vehicles. That has certainly deteriorated. And th- there's, again, a variety of reasons that some is visa related, some is a, a taxation issue, which was introduced by new rules into the UK. Say the conditions have been difficult. I think there's possibly a weariness after Brexit, you know, with the extra administration, the delays, which have been significant at ports and at various centres. That has resulted in a fatigue on the group uh, relying to the driver group. And certainly that has put people off from returning to the UK. And uh, it's going to be a challenge uh, for the next number of months. And it is manifold here as well because we have the same problem. We have a shortage of people who are coming into the industry. You know, the age profile is lengthening. And we also have a shortage here, which the result here has been an upward pressure on prices for delivery of uh, everything. Uh, particularly uh, traditionally uh, a service which you know as haulage, which is movement of of containers from the port areas and from larger distribution centres in Ireland to one point to another. That is becoming increasingly difficult to source. Yeah, there's some. I saw some uh, news reports that they reckon there's a deficit of 100,000 HGV drivers in the UK. And I noticed this morning that the government there is kind of maybe going back a little bit on on, on Brexit, you know, the whole point of it was to limit freedom of movement and they seem to be talking about issuing something up to 10,500 short-term visas to European HGV drivers 
Um, what, what, what do you make of that? It sounds like a bit of a drop in the ocean. I'm not sure they'd be exactly rushing back, would they? You're right. I think it's highly unlikely. And it is a, it is a small step in what is a really complex problem. And I'm, I'm, I think it'll, it'll alleviate some of the problems. But look, as you know, the media today were commenting on that, that there was, might be use of military personnel to transport fuel uh, in tankers. So so it's a really sharp problem. It has been materialising for quite a while. So, it, it you know, it's it's in a way a little surprising that it should have got to this level. But yeah, it, will that satisfy? No, this current situation certainly won't. There will be other measures needed. Uh, there is a, a longer term problem the industry much ad- must address, which is make it more attractive to enter in, you know, to, to start a career, uh, to incentivise people to do that. Uh, I think you're going to see changes to to driving hours. Cities are congested. I spoke to you today. I was coming from the city myself. And, you know, Dublin is a difficult city to get out of and get into. And that is quite deliberate. And it's if you imagine you're an HGV driver, you know, that can be very frustrating. And it's repeated throughout Western cities. And indeed, you know, the, the, the general problem with traffic in cities. So I think there's a number of fairly serious, I would say, systemic issues. And unless we address them, to make it a more attractive career uh, opportunity, not just for HEV, I'll also say for, for, for a smaller vehicle, it's going to be an upward battle. And for sure, you're going to see further price inflation on those services. So while the, the problems not, might not be as acute here in Ireland as they are in, in the UK, the process, the underlying process and problem is present. So what do you think of the implications for Irish businesses um, I guess one is rising costs, but what should they be doing, you know, by means of mitigation and prevention? Yeah, look, it's something we're working uh, on uh, with the Fingal County Council to to try and it's a skills and initiative program to try and look at helping businesses recruit uh, uh, folk in not not just driving, but in warehousing activities, the general industry as well. There are a number of incentives and schemes, as you know, particularly in the training side, which which we feel very strongly about. That it's available for for companies to use to attract people in. The group has recognised that it's not easy to see where those services are. There's there's a there's a disparate group of people involved in providing the training. I think that needs to be streamlined so it's easier for business to access them. The information programmes around it, some of the promotional pieces need to be improved upon. So I think that's definitely one side of there is there is incentive there is help out there but making it easy for companies to avail of that needs to change. I think, uh, look, you know, we're seeing inflation in wages. So, so that is something that is going to happen. No question about that. Um, I think there are other things that can be done to make the uh, make it a more attractive career, particularly around certification, uh, retraining of, of certain individuals. I think encouragement for people to stay in the industry. And, and there are different measures to do that. So it really, there is no short term fix on it. My own personal belief is that as an industry, we have to work a lot harder to make it a more interesting and acceptable place to work in. And I mean, supply chain, as you mentioned at the top of your introduction, has touched upon everybody. And while most people were aware of uh, supply chains and its impact on our day to day lives, not to the level they have been in the past 18 months um, between the, the shortages of containers, between the, the, the how the pandemic has exasperated that, problems in Suez. All of those things has raised the industry in terms of consciousness of the listening and viewing public. However, that uh, is great to uh, create awareness. But the solution will come from within the industry itself, I think, by sharing information 
by being more open about some of the challenges, by getting into industry bodies uh, to try and recruit collectively. And also, I think, with help from government, which will be which will be needed as well. So I think it's a manifold approach, Patrick, and, and it's not going to be a short term fix. Yeah. So I'm picking up on that uh, issue you mentioned there in relation to containers and sewers and so on. How are you seeing things uh, at the moment in ocean freight and air freight and our links with the EU and the rest of the world for, you know, I guess the support our, our manufacturing base is supported by a, a lot of inflows from through that. And also uh, most of what we produce goes out through those channels. So what's what's going on there? Yeah, so that, so we look look at it maybe from a westerly, from an inbound, uh, from China uh, perspective to start with, and then we can we can move from there from to in exports. So it's extremely uh, challenged still. Um, availability of equipment, cost of that uh, movements uh, on an inbound basis. So if you're an importer in Ireland, you you've probably seen a quintupling uh, of of prices. So what what a container price eighteen months ago might have been two and a half thousand. It's up at fourteen and and above at the moment us dollars so that's a, an enormous increase which is clearly still going on the situation is also exasperated by a shortage of equipment so what you're seeing is the wrong equipment is or the right equipment is in the wrong place if you wish so trying to get that equipment particularly refrigerated temperature controlled equipment to uh, the correct ports has been a real challenge for the shipping uh, lines and for the, the the shippers itself so that squeeze on equipment has also worsened uh, the position. You've you've a, a really congested situation in many of the ports, the world's ports. Some of the, the Chinese ports are still suffering from uh, serious outbreaks of COVID, which has reduced the ability for guys to handle the equipment, uh, the containers uh, offloading and reloading. You know, you're also seeing super congestion in many of the US ports, Long Beach uh, and LA being an example of two where the congestion is unprecedented. So you have serious bottlenecks which are being exasperated by shortage of equipment, uh, which is pushing prices up. And also it is creating, um, if you wish, a perfect storm of, of conditions for many importers who are looking for product uh, as a manufacturing base, you said, but also for for the Christmas market, which we're we're seeing, which would be moving now. So, so that that situation has not eased, and I would see that continuing to the early New Year, uh, at the earliest, if you know, if to be optimistic, and probably beyond that. Um, so, so that certainly is the inbound situation uh, from Europe. Yeah. Uh, Look, it, it is the same into the main ports. We're seeing, you know, upwards of, of in some cases, 60-day transit times from main port China, which, you know, traditionally we've done in 40. So a huge increase in lead times. A challenge with many of the shipping lines in just being able to provide visibility on where those um, where those movements are, which many of your listeners would be familiar with. So I think that's they're, they're real challenges that will not be eased for the, for the coming uh, number of months. From an export basis, again, situation is not uh, dissimilar in the US to the US, real shortage of drivers once the equipment is able to get to uh, eastern uh, US ports, railhead congestion, a significant increase in inland costs for delivery in the US, uh, again, exasperated by availability of labor and uh, equipment, uh, a price, significant price increase on the westbound lane out of 
Ireland you know, through, through Cork, but also uh, predominantly through Liverpool and Rotterdam, uh, prices increasing dramatically, uh, triple fold in many cases. Mm-hmm. So, so the situation is is challenged. A significant rise for for shippers and importers on freight costs, um, many of which you know they would have hoped would would be easing now. I see no sign of that for the rest of the year, and a continuation early New Year first quarter. I guess on top of uh, everything that's going on, we had the uh, the IPCC report this uh, summer talking about getting to zero carbon by 2050. We have the COP26 uh, coming up in November in Scotland, described as the world's best last chance to avoid catastrophic climate change. And uh, we all know that the freight industry is going to be very challenging to uh, to decarbonize. So how do you see things changing in the in the freight industry in the next decade or so in this regard? Now, you know, I know maybe we could have EVs for urban uh, express delivery and so on, maybe zero carbon drop in liquid fuels such as advanced biofuels and maybe hydrogen derived e-fuels for intercity and international HGV transport, or maybe mode shifts or short sea shipping alternatives. So what's what's your own view? What, 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 what would we be talking about if we were sitting here, you know, in September 2030 in terms of the way the freight industry is is getting stuff around the place? Yeah, well, I suppose let's focus on the positive to, to start with. I think, look, there's there's no question there is a real change afoot within the industry. And it's been driven by customer demand, you know, uh, everywhere. Uh, anyone we talk to now, it's one of the first topics a customer is going to discuss with us, aside from the, the obvious shortages that is available of equipment. So it's become front and center with all of the major uh, shippers that we deal with, um, carbon footprint, sustainability, what we're doing to try. And first of all, I would have to say, Patrick, measure it correctly and then take real effort to change. So looking at the mode shift, which you, which you mentioned, yeah, uh, you know, we see, you know, our desire to shift away into other modes, such as rail, which we have examined out of China. Um, and it has improved, you know, the the price uh, points, uh, again, were more attractive lead time extension, but because with the FCL, the full container load movements, because of the significant increases in prices and transit times, the rail option has become much more uh, interesting. However, there is limited capacity in that, as you know, but it is uh, seen as a real alternative. Something you and I have discussed here is the use of the rail infrastructure in Ireland to replace uh, HGV movements. And I think there is real possibilities in that from a, a shipper a destination to a port, port location, we talk about Waterford, you know, Dublin needs some infrastructural piece to be done with it. But I think you will see a growth in that modality and a shift to it. It is uh, somewhat of a challenge on lead times uh, because the model many of the manufacturers have worked, as you know, on just-in-time uh, basis, and that has been severely challenged. So that that mindset, if you wish, and the assumption around lead times, material availability has really been challenged. So I see a shift in that and an increase in inventory holding, something we've talked about, uh, to compensate for that because, you know, the lead times from in both directions is certainly going to extend out. And I think with the modalities we we are talking about, that will add to it. You know, they won't improve in the short term. It will be a longer term um, 
affect that, but you will see an extension of lead times. In particular, you've touched on, yeah, you know, for urban deliveries, EVs are, are a real possibility and the price points for, for are coming down mm. and the range is increasing. So particularly for the small parcel uh, business, you know, e-commerce deliveries, RMXCs, tremendous opportunity in that in, in densely populated urban areas. And, and, you know, there's there's real logic to that. And you're seeing some of them onto the streets now. Again, for the business we're in, which is a B2B business primarily, you know, they're predominantly over 100 kilos. You're still looking at traditional fuels in that. So we have been challenged with with the delivery of those uh, consignments and will continue to do so. You will see some further consolidation on a B2B uh, basis. So you'll get a, a greater bang for your, your, if you want, for your, your mile. But uh, I still see challenges in range. And until that acceptance is met between range and price, I think we're, we've got a little bit of a way to go. Sadly, it's it's all pointing to upward pressure on, on prices in the industry. Patrick, there's, there's really no question about that. And I think all of us need to be prepared for that. We're, we're going to see uh, increases in our everyday goods coming very quickly on the back of this, clearly. I think you're going to see a sustained period of that. Uh, I hope it's married with a realization that that you know we will reduce our consumption because it, ultimately that's what it'll come down to on an individual basis. But that that is a longer term scenario. So I would be optimistic because of the acknowledgement of the problem. Whether whether we have the capability in terms of technologies, I'm certainly less positive about. I think there's still quite a way to go. But as you say, hydrogen, I would be particularly optimistic of for the HGVs. I think you'd see that increasing, that usage of it. And I also believe that you'll see perhaps a reduction in shipment size and the holding of inventory closer to urban areas uh, in smaller pockets, these so-called dark warehouses, mm. to, to to mirror the, the the dark kitchen ideas. So we think that will increase dramatically for a B two C basis and for delivery for retail. But really for the B two B, it's it's going to be a longer run and I think a, a challenged one from a yeah. price perspective. As we come to the end of the interview, now I just wanted to ask you about COVID and how it has changed your day-to-day on on site uh, in your business and how much of that you think will become permanent and what has maybe surprised you about the COVID experience um, and were there any kind of positive outcomes that you hold on to for the future? Yeah, well, look, I I would say for me um, personally, I felt that the, the staff, the teams we've got throughout the business just really displayed a, a tremendous amount of, I'm going to say, you know, robustness because, you know, there, there was no working from home for large groups of the, the people that work within our business. You know, the, the stuff has to be handled. Uh, it has to be taken off a truck. It has to be put onto a smaller truck. It has to be processed through a system that, you know, is in many cases manual, um, the scanning that has to be done. So while there's been tremendous advancements in technology and automation, the majority of the work we do relies on a human driver and on a human uh, warehouse person. So, you know, we continued on, as did many uh, in the industry, right throughout COVID. Yes, we reduced volumes, but a tremendous effort by the staff. And I would say both in the warehouse, the driving side, but also in the administration side, because physically we had to be in the offices for many of these processes. So that has been something that, you know, will will stick with me that, that, you know, where many talk about working from home for a lot of folk, that just wasn't a possibility for a lot of businesses. You know, the things we rely on have to get to people 
the reason it got to them was through companies like ourselves. So, you know, I, I was gratified and really impressed uh, by that because I thought, you know, it was a remarkable effort by companies uh, within the industry. You know, the other thing that we've learned and a lot of us suspected was that a lot, much of this work can be done in different locations. And uh, that was no great surprise. But I think what was was just a sheer number of people away from the office. That, so how it could be done and how we could how it could work. And, you know, I'd imagine that this would be possible. But in, in, in this sense, it certainly proved that it was. I think while that's a, a truism, the, the downside was that was the lack of social interaction. I think there's a real penalty to pay on that for people. I think, you know, we would see many, many people in the business that missed that and missed it from so many levels from being able to ask obvious questions in the business that you know that that isn't always transfer well to a zoom or to a team question to to just the sheer swapping of ideas stories and good news so so that's been a loss and i think we haven't been the better for it however uh, it was absolutely the right thing to do to take so many people away from the sites and, and work uh, remotely as much as possible so i think those things have been real lessons learned and, uh, you know, yeah, remarkable how everyone adapted and how we, you know, all of us got on with it um, through really difficult circumstances. Maybe then just just to wrap, are you uh, reading or listening to anything uh, interesting or inspirational at the moment? You know, audio books, podcasts, anything like that that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I, I've, I've just finished uh, Martin Amos's uh, I guess autobiography, The Inside Story, which I really enjoy. He's, he's an author I've been followed for, for a long, long time his writing and Christopher, Christopher Hitchens, who's a wonderful essayist. So, so that's been, been great. Uh, been, been really interesting. It's nice to, you know, switch to something different, uh, on the back of that, you, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, good writing is, is such a joy. I listen, I've listened to, you know, there's a, a medical doctor, Peter Atia that I've listened to his podcast. That's, that's really, really good. I've been really struck by many of the uh, audio clips around 9-11 that have come up in the last couple of weeks and just the, the whole backstory to it. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, has touched upon so many people and, and has such an impact and still does. So I, I felt those stories as individual stories to be remarkable and, and you know, understanding more about what's happened and the, the legacy of the event itself. Uh, the uh, the Looming Tower by uh, Lawrence Wright is a, is a particularly good read around that that whole situation. So, so yeah, I, I've, I've really enjoyed that. And look, I've enjoyed getting out playing a bit of football and, and I've kind of become more engaged with the, the Premiership uh, as a as a tournament, I've been deeply dissatisfied. Despite Leeds' return last year, which was one of the the, the joys of of that return, but to see people back and and enjoying it, and uh, it has been a little bit of a signal of a return to some some things that we've really really missed. So I've enjoyed that, and yeah, perhaps it'll be a more uh, a competitive tournament this year. So that's been great, and getting out with with the kids, playing football, and hurling and everything else has been great all right frank it's been uh, an absolute pleasure as as always and uh we should continue with success personally and professionally thanks for being with us again today yeah thank you patrick and best of luck to you and uh, to all your listeners take care thanks very much and thanks to our listeners for tuning in any comments or questions just drop me a line on pdaily at albalogistics.com that's p-d-a-l-y at alba a-l-b-a logistics.com and keep well and stay safe until next time